It was a history-making week at the Illinois State House, a lame duck session, a flurry of transformative legislation, a new Speaker of the House, and an easing of COVID-19 restrictions in some parts of the state. We'll try to make sense of it all with the Capital News Illinois team on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and I'm here with the rest of the news team, Jerry Nowicki, Sarah Manser, and Ray Troncoso. So, heading into this lame duck session, we all knew that Mike Madigan was on the ropes in terms of his chances of being re-elected speaker, and in fact the whole session was kind of a bargain with the Legislative Black Caucus, which had put together this wide-ranging agenda for social justice and equity legislation that they'd put together in the wake of the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others last year. The bargain was that we would have this session and focus on the Black Caucus's agenda, in return for the Black Caucus supporting Madigan for Speaker. They got their session, they got a lot of their legislation passed, and in the end, Madigan still was not re-elected Speaker. Instead, they elected a member of the Black Caucus, Emmanuel Chris Welch, from the western Chicago suburb of Hillside. Jerry, help us make sense of all this. Why wasn't Madigan able to hold on to his office that he'd held for 36 of the last 38 years, and how did Chris Welch manage to win it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it was a bargain, um, a trade-off, the Black Caucus agenda for Madigan votes. Uh, I don't know that I would characterize it that way. Um, Madigan didn't win because he didn't get 60 votes. Uh, there were just not, there were just too many people who peeled off their support for the speaker. Um, with uh, there, by the time we got into session, we knew there were 19 people who said they would not vote for Madigan, and uh, they held firm. Those 19 held firm, uh, like they said they would do this whole time. Um, and then uh, maybe a few more even jumped ship from Madigan uh, to a point where he was about nine votes shy in the first secret ballot. And then uh, some of the women who had been building uh, opposition campaigns against him, including uh, Rep. Stephanie Kifowit from Oswego, who was the first one to do it, and then uh, Kathleen Willis of Addison and Ann Williams of Chicago. They weren't uh, able to build the uh, support, the broad support that Representative Welch was to uh, sew it up. Um, basically, maybe in the in the early early hours of Wednesday morning, uh, when it was clear that he was going to be the speaker, and then he was inaugurated hours later. So a lot of reporters, I imagine, are going to have trouble for a while typing the words House Speaker and not following it with Michael Madigan. You were there. uh, You uh, covered the House session where he was elected, and you covered the news conference afterwards. How is Speaker Welch going to be different from Speaker Madigan? What do we expect from him? Well, that's the main question there. I mean, we, we can't overstate how what a monumental change it is just to have a different person holding that gavel in Illinois. Um, he's been speaker all but two years since 1983, as we know. Um, many people have lived their entire lives uh, knowing only Madigan as speaker. Um, so what? how is Welch going to be different? He said, he's, he said in a news conference after he was inaugurated that He'd be 
uh, okay with passing a law for a 10-year limit on, on the speakership, a term limit for the speaker, which in and of itself is just drastically different than Madigan. And then he said he'd be open to changes in House rules, which, uh, long story short, with the way the House governs itself, the Democrats always adopt these rules that pretty much give the speakership extensive power to kill any bills in the legislative process or prevent anything from getting to the floor that the speaker doesn't want there. So uh, Welch, they did not adopt House rules in the first day and a half of the 102nd General Assembly. And that itself was an olive branch to Republicans who, who want more sway in the process for rank and file lawmakers. Uh, and then there could be some other changes to the committee process. So while there was some talk about Welch being a Madigan puppet, uh, I would I would not expect that to happen. What we will have to watch is if he wields uh, the power of the speaker in similar ways that Madigan did. There's also been some talk that he would be open to some legislative ethics reform uh, that Speaker Madigan would, was not open to. Uh, do we expect to see any changes there? Uh, you know, I don't know. There was an ethics reform bill brought up late in the session, the 101st General Assembly, that didn't pass. Um, I don't see how you could not uh, pass ethics at this point in Illinois with uh, former Speaker Madigan under the uh, under the scrutiny that he's under. Um, you'd have to get something done if you were if you were Welch. Um, politically speaking. Okay, so during this session, we had uh, legislation touching on a lot of different subjects. There was health care reform, there was economic reform, all kinds of things that were meant to close some of the inequities, race-based inequities in Illinois society. And the big one, of course, that everybody was looking at was the criminal justice and police reform, because that really grew out of the tensions between the black community and law enforcement and the criminal justice system. Uh, Ray, what was in that final package? So the initial bill that was uh, introduced as House Bill 163 held a lot of very wide-ranging reforms. The bill that eventually passed was not quite as extensive, but still has a lot of changes. There will be a commission that's going to look at qualified immunity for police officers that has to submit its report. Uh, by the end of May to both the General Assembly and, and just the for clarity, office. Just for clarity, qualified immunity is what uh, shields police officers from being sued uh, for misconduct. Is that right? Yes, and it protects not just police officers, all government officials from civil liability. However, it's mostly used in the cases of police officers when they violate the constitutional rights of citizens while uh, in occurrence with, of their duties. So they, they don't get protections when they're off duty, but say a cop does something that, that might violate, uh, you know, First Amendment rights or, you know, rights guaranteed under the Fourth Amendment regarding property, they might be shielded from civil lawsuits uh, thanks to qualified immunity. And there was originally an effort that would strip that away completely if they violated any tenets of the Illinois Constitution. However, that provision was dropped amid a... a very, very private negotiation that took place over several hours between when the bill was first introduced and when it was actually voted. Uh, what was also included in this bill, which was originally other legislation, 
was the end of cash bail. It's been a project that's been worked on by activists for a long time who say that cash-based bond and bail uh, discriminates against people of color and, and low-income folks who can't afford to be bailed out of jail. This was a project of Senator Robert Peters for a long time. He originally tried to get it passed as the Pretrial Fairness Act, couldn't get it done, but it did pass as part of this package. Uh, by 2023, we will no longer have cash bail in Illinois. Uh, Attorney General Kwame Raul also had his own legislation added to the bill. Yeah. So how do you secure somebody? How, uh, how do you make sure they're going to show up at trial if you don't have cash bail? What are the other tools that they have? So by law, the way that this is now going to be determined is going to be by the actual facts of the case, the offense that was committed, uh, a person's propensity for violence, the threat they may pose is going to be called uh, what they call pretrial release conditions. Now, what this actually means hasn't been fleshed out yet. Uh, the law, which originally was going to take effective immediately as part of negotiations to get the bill passed, has been pushed back to uh, 2023 to give the Illinois courts some time to come up with this system themselves. Uh, so what we're looking at based on what's actually written into law is something that has to be non-monetary based and has to be based on the threat of the individual and the crime that they actually committed. Okay, and so, their likelihood to show up for their for their trial date. Okay, so as far as I know, California is the only other state that has passed a law like this, and I don't believe it's gone into effect in California. Uh, this is really kind of trailblazing legislation. Uh, what was the reaction from the law enforcement community and from local prosecutors to this? Prosecutors, uh, specifically the Supreme Court, some of them have opposed it, but on the Supreme Court, there's actually been a lot of openness to the idea. There's actually a, a commission over the last couple of years by the Illinois Supreme Court to look into this, and they agreed that we actually needed to move away from a monetary system. Now, this may be coming a little bit sooner than they would like and anticipated, but the fact that the Black Caucus was willing to push that date back two years to let the courts figure it out rather than effective immediately shows that there is some willingness on both sides to compromise on this issue. Okay, and meanwhile, while all this was going on, and I just want to point out that uh, while this was happening, reporters had extremely limited access to lawmakers. Uh, it's not like, you know, you couldn't hang out in the hall and talk with them. You couldn't uh, go up to them after committee meetings. So it, it just strikes me as, you know, very different that we had all this groundbreaking legislation going through, and we really had very limited access to what was going on. Uh, but I want to turn now to Sarah, uh, because one of the things that went on, uh, just kind of came up out of nowhere, uh, was that the director of the Department of Veterans Affairs suddenly resigned. Uh, can you talk about what was behind that? Yeah. Uh, so the director of the uh, Illinois Department of Veterans Affairs, Linda Capalavia, uh, she resigned this week on Tuesday. And... Um, uh, her resignation came after a committee hearing by the House uh, Civil Judiciary Committee. Um, but even before that, there was a lot of pressure. Um, there were groups such as um, the uh, Veterans for Foreign Wars groups 
in specifically in LaSalle County where there had been a um, outbreak at a veterans home there but the uh, group the veterans of foreign wars in LaSalle County had called for her resignation as well as other veterans for foreign war groups and um, this hearing just seemed to be the nail in her coffin and um, what had happened before this um, was that a uh, the veterans home in LaSalle had experienced a outbreak of COVID-19 um, that was first reported on November 1st and the, since November 1st uh, at least 36 residents of the veterans home have passed away um, due to COVID-19 and um, reports from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and Illinois Department of Public Health that have come out um, site reports from the facility showed that uh, personal protective equipment protocols had not been followed by staff, that staff were using the same gloves between different patients, that staff were wearing their masks below their chins. Um, there were even reports that staff had attended a Halloween party, um, but those reports hadn't been confirmed. So all of that led to the hearing on Tuesday and members of the committee were especially critical of the director and her staff and then following that committee hearing a number of the members were calling for her resignation and then shortly thereafter she um, resigned in a in a statement that was put out by the governor's office and the governor said that the decision it was a mutual decision for her to resign yeah he said it was i guess it was important to him to restore trust in the agency and in the veterans' homes. And as long as she was there, uh, that trust didn't exist, essentially. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was also expressed by a number of the members on the committee that they felt that her leadership, her, her continuing to remain at the head of, of the agency was um, it was it was not in, ensuring confidence and that they needed to change the leadership in order to have confidence in the agency because of all of the perceived failures that had taken place and led to the outbreak. Okay, so all this is going on, all this legislation is being passed. Uh, there was also some legislation that didn't pass. Uh, you had followed some of that, including the expansion of vote by mail. Uh, do you know what what happened with that bill? Yeah, so that bill, um, it actually existed in, in both chambers, but it um, it got passed out of the Senate uh, on Tuesday, but it never, it was never able to get passed on by the House. They must have ran out of, the out of time in the early morning of January 13th. Um, but the measure would have... Um, made permanent a lot of the changes that were made um, for the 2020 general election with uh, collection drop boxes um, that don't require postage um, as well as other other changes that had been put in place for, for the 2020 general election. And also Governor Pritzker had a tax bill that he wanted to get through uh, would essentially repeal or have the state of Illinois opt out of some tax cuts that the federal government had passed so that they wouldn't affect uh, state income taxes. 
wasn't able to get that through. Uh, was it just a matter of time, do you think, or uh, was there just too much opposition? You know, it, it, it seems that there may have been too much opposition. Um, the measure, or that bill came up for a vote, um, again, in the early hours of the morning on January 13th, but it fell, um, I believe, 10 votes short of passage, and so it would have, it would appear that um, even some of the Democrats did not feel comfortable voting for it. Obviously, uh, there were at least a dozen Republicans that stood up in opposition to that, and um, and so the sponsor, Representative Mike Zaleski, was appealing to his own side. He was asking for just for Democratic support and um, could not manage to get the 60 votes needed to pass it. But Governor Pritzker did say today in his press conference that he expects a similar bill will be brought in the current General Assembly, and um, we will wait for that to come up. Okay, very good. And speaking of that news conference, uh, I want to turn back to Jerry. Uh, the governor gave a COVID-19 update on Friday and announced that some regions of the state are going to see some of their mitigations being eased. Is that right? So effective immediately, three regions will go back to Tier 2. Um, region 1 in northern Illinois, uh, 2 in north central Illinois, and 5 in southern Illinois. Um, they're going to have uh, some mitigations lifted, go back to Tier 2. But the thing about Tier 2 is it's not all that different from tier three. So you're not seeing any added indoor dining or anything like that. Uh, the governor's office laid out that in tier one, there would be some indoor dining um, allowed. So to get to tier one, you have to have a positivity rate on a rolling seven day average that is below 8% for three straight days. Um, and then uh, I think 20% of hospital bed availability in seven of 10 days, uh, you must have level or decreasing uh, hospitalizations for COVID-19. So um, there is some movement there. It's not really stark movement. Um, I think, you know, in uh, some examples of loosened mitigations in tier two are our return of group fitness classes, return of lower risk youth recreational sports, uh, but that's just under um, the IDPH guidelines that were released initially, so there's no real new guidance on sports. Um, and then like museums can open at 25% capacity with social distancing. So there, when you look at tier two over in tier two, not much a difference in, in many of the aspects of everyday life. Tier one is when it'd get uh, to a little bit more indoor dining. Uh, but as, as it's been pointed out with the governor, uh, basically every time he, he stands in front of a microphone, a lot of businesses just aren't paying attention to this. And, and I, I don't expect anything to change um, in that regard. And where do we stand on the vaccine front? Uh, he says January 25th, we'll move into phase 1B. Uh, the state has uh, received a little less than a million vaccines uh, with about 500,000 have been administered. You know, the governor always points out that you have three days from when you put a shot into someone's arm to when you have to report it. So there's probably been more than the 500 or so thousand shots given, uh, but uh, some of those are will be a little bit uh, delayed as to when we know uh, 
uh, when they've been administered in terms of state reporting. And uh, the governor keeps pointing out that this is a state of 12.7 million people, and it takes two doses of the vaccine uh, to get the full effect of it. So, uh, yeah, I should point out that phase 1B includes people age 65 years and older and uh, inmates and uh, other uh, essential work, uh, frontline workers who are non-healthcare workers. And I guess we're waiting uh, for the incoming Biden administration uh, to take charge. The hope out there that uh, they will, the Biden administration will increase production of the vaccine, uh, maybe get it out a little faster. Uh, is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of hope uh, with the Biden administration, just purely for the fact that it'll there will be some semblance of unified federal response that there really hasn't been for nine months. Okay. Ten months, whatever it is. We're going to leave it at that for this week's edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, stay healthy and thank you for listening.